Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Oh, happy day. Happy day when he washed my sin away. What's up, guys? We are back. Shining delight. Andrew Templeton here. Who else is joining us today? Speak. Okay. Uh, Mallory is here. I, that's, that is my name, not Google Girl. Oh, G, G squared. That's what we're Mallory Google who Girl. worked at I think it's really cool. <laughs> Google Girl sounds really good, actually. I think it's a cool super name. Mallory of Google. We'll do it. Uh, we'll do it <laughs> Middle Ages style. Mallory of Google. Well, then <laughs> Google's going to show up and like trademark this whole thing and take it. So. Oh, you're right. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Go- of Goggle. Mallory back. of Goggle. <laughs> Mallory of really big number that we can't comprehend. Amen. Right? Isn't that what a Google is? Oh, is I like it. Yeah. Google is a number. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so Ma- Mallory of Google of incomprehensible numbers here. Yes, and I'm, uh, I'm Chris Chaillot. Um, back for his, another episode. Back for another episode. Not too much special about he me. Took a marathon from, runner. He uh, took a break from training for the Boston Marathon to join us. Exactly. Still got that long run tomorrow, though. That'll be good. He didn't run here, though, because he's wearing a very nice shirt, and it's raining outside. Ah, not, so he did. True. I know he didn't run here. I was expecting him to run here. Not today. I brag, I brag on y'all because I care. Yeah, Thank I do. You. Thank you. <laughs> and Rose here, of course. Yeah. Rose, what uh, icebreaker question do you have for the day for us? So we got a lot of hometowns represented in the booth right now. What is what is a fun fact about you all, you all's respective hometowns, or a famous person that has come from your hometown? Oh, I just thought of one. Okay, so the Albuquerque Isotopes is our like B League baseball, right? And so we got them back. Double A. Uh, yeah, Double A. That's what we call them, B League. Um, they just got back a couple years ago, and we voted in the town to figure out what we wanted the name to be. Well, the isotopes is actually from The Simpsons. So Albuquerque, um, in The Simpsons TV series, they had had this this baseball team named the isotopes from Albuquerque. And so we decided to name it after The Simpsons TV show. That's the reason we named it. They gave us all these different options. It used to be like the Duke City. I forget what else they were called. Uh, Duke City Gladiators and X, Y, and Z. And now they're like, oh, what do you want to vote? And it was like, isotopes, because from The Simpsons. That's the fun fact. I thought it was because of they developed because the Manhattan Project was right up the road. Yeah, but that's why they did it in The Simpsons. Gotcha, yep. okay. And so we chose to be in line with The Simpsons. Fun fact about Albuquerque, also Breaking Bad. Come on. Oh, yes. So I'm a small town East Texas boy from good old Palestine, Texas. Wait, that's the Middle East. It's the middle of East Texas. Oh, Middle East, there we hey, go. Hey, hey, come on, bro. We're down come the road, on. not across the water. I'm he, just saying. He's heard that a few times. And it's Palestine, not Palestine. Get it right. My 903 people out there, let's go. Well, I mean, Palestine would be how you pronounce it in, in Spanish because that I becomes an E. Come on. Yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> in the good old small town of East Texas, Palestine, uh, we are the hometown of Adrian Peterson, which y'all may know from the Vikings, you know, running back guy. Was he in Oklahoma? Was he played uh, Oklahoma? I think, he, yeah. I think that's where it was for college. Yeah. yeah it was, but, you know, he was, he was Palestine first, and we actually have an Adrian Peterson day. So growing oh, up in the crazy. band, I'm a band nerd, drumline, let's go. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, we had Adrian Peterson day. Everybody, is that the wrong? You pushed I, the wrong button. I didn't. I tried. I was trying to put the boom button. It didn't work. Keep talking. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's like we got a, a, a everybody shut down. We had a parade. It was everything. He came back. Everybody was like, "Hey, he's my cousin." You know, it was it was a great time. He's my cousin. It was a great time, man. Adrian Peterson. Day. Everyone's related, actually. Everyone's small related. Town. Yeah, one Palestine way or the other. Texas. He's my second cousin, twice removed. Um. Also, small world. Uh, I've never been. I think 
in the same room as another person from New Mexico, unless I was like actually in New Mexico. So um, I grew up in Roswell. Uh, and if you don't know what's famous, really? <laughs> is yeah, a, uh, Area 51 uh, originated in Roswell, New Mexico. Supposedly there was a crash landing, I want to say early 50s. Wait, um, so you're not a believer? Uh, it was. It was actually okay. 1951 Allegedly. because yeah. that's why it's called Area 51. Gosh. Oh yes, yeah. that makes sense. That Are makes you sense. Sure you're from Roswell. Um, Have I'm you not, been replaced? Not my whole life, but oh, okay. um, <laughs> but it's insane. People from all over the world come to visit to check out the Alien Museum and see where supposedly a crash landing occurred. And I had, as a class project, had to interview someone who was alive in that time period, and they said. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, the military came in out of the middle of nowhere. They didn't explain any, anything. They gave us a curfew. They they shut down all the schools. You weren't allowed to be in the streets. And it was for an entire week and there was no explanation. Sounds like COVID, but it was for an entire year. Yep. And only... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. And too only soon, in soon. one town instead of the whole world. <laughs> oh, true, true, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lauren Daigle, the Christian singer. She's from Lafayette. You say Martin Daigle or Lauren Daigle? Oh, Lauren. Yeah. She. Oh, okay. I was like, who's this Martin Daigle yeah. guy? Lauren Daigle, yeah. She's, she's from Lafayette. Also, at one point... Two years ago, Lafayette, Louisiana, was home to two UFC champions, Daniel Cormier and Dustin Poirier. Both, they, of course, oh, they have Cajun last names. Is. But, Al- yeah. Albuquerque Can is home to many that? more UFC champions. We actually have one of the best gyms in the world there. Okay, well, Louisiana Winkle, Winkle has John more kickboxing. NFL players per capita than any other state. All right, yeah. That's, that's Only reason I know Lafayette is because I went to school in West Lafayette, and people all, like all the time would try to book reservations for restaurants, and it would always be Louisiana. Not Indiana. <laughs> yeah, Lafayette, we got some great restaurants in Lafayette. That's funny. We have the nuclear bomb from New Mexico. Subtle <laughs> <laughs> flex. Is Subtle that flex. a good thing? Or? Uh, it depends on what side of the spectrum you're on. You know, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but today, guys, we are talking about our first week of seasons. Um, and today we get to talk about joy and grief. All right, first off, what is joy? Let's describe that. Let's knock it out. I think joy is the, it's not a feeling. It is a a knowledge that you were living for a higher purpose. And as as believers in Christ, our higher purpose is we get to serve him. We get to follow him while we're here on earth. I don't, I don't think joy can come apart from God. I think it's not something that's man-made. It's something that we are given. Um, it's not like happiness, which is, you know, can be external and something that's like temporary. It's something that's lasting. Yeah. And even the things that do bring us joy, like, like if you're an atheist and you have a child, obviously that, you know, that that's an amazing thing and that will bring you joy, but that is a gift from God. Like even then, even if you don't believe in God, that joy that you get when you get married or you have a child, even if you're not following Christ, those are gifts from God. Because the Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from above. Mm. It's like the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, Where's that from? Right there. Oh, you Dude, got me on the reference. I saw that what earlier. Is that? It's Nehemiah 8.10. Yeah, I was thinking about that. That's as Christians. We say, hey, I got to get my joy from God, God mm-hmm. alone. Because I even think, you know, when we think about joy, we think about on the other spectrum, Paul writing his letters from, you know, the Roman jail cell. And he talks about this joy that he has in doing that. But he's chained up in a jail cell, probably not being fed and not being taken care of too well. And he's still saying, like, I am finding joy here. Like, this isn't this happiness thing. Like, you can find joy in all situations. What would be the difference between joy and happiness? Like, simply, how would you describe that to the audience? Happiness is an emotion. It comes from the same Greek word where we get the word happening, meaning it's temporary, it's momentary. So happiness is an emotion. You know, an alcoholic can be happy when he's drunk, but that's not. That's not going to bring joy because you're going to have a hangover the next day and you're going to have, you know, all sorts of problems down the road. And so happiness is an emotion. It's not an indicator of, of God. Um, it, it is a really a reflection of our, of our own flesh and our own and sometimes sin nature. And joy is a reflection of God because it, it comes from that knowing that peace, knowing that we serve the creator of the universe and that we are children of the king. 
So a question for you would be, is joy something that just occurs naturally within you or is it something that you decide or choose? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. What do y'all think? It just is like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to punt on that. I don't have a good answer off the cuff. I'm going to punt on that. Goggle girl asked a hard question. And Rhoda's not, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mallory asked a hard question and Rhoda's not respond. No, I, yeah, I really know. I'm stumped. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's a gift. I wouldn't say it's the reason I, I have a problem with that. Those two choices is because naturally occurring makes me think that it comes from the world. I think it's a gift from God um, or is a result of, of other gifts from God. And so, yeah, that's why I have a tough time answering that question. I don't think that it's something that we can just create in and of ourselves unless we decide to follow God. You know, you know I think it does come back to, you know, the word of God is written on our hearts, right? We have this innate understanding and this pursuit or this knowledge that we want to pursue then. And I think joy is more accessible to us the more we pursue wisdom and learning who God is. You know, we may be able to find a semblance of joy with the tiniest little bit of God's understanding, but the more you read his word, you meditate on it, like the more I feel like you're accessible to this joy that is given through God, the more that you're closer to his will for us and living out his will for our lives. So I think there is a little bit of that. The more you know God, the more joy you find in life. It's not quite a decision, but something that you can then unlock through this pursuit. I'd agree with that. It's a really good way of putting it. It's like who God is. It's the joy. The only reason we can have it through him is because it's who he is and his nature. It's just this great pleasure, this great satisfaction, this, uh, something next level that we can't get to, and that's just God. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. Right, I, mean, so I never really thought about it like that. So we'll look at happiness as a feeling, and joy is just this state of who God is that as we're pursuing him, we get to understand, we get to experience. All right. What about grief? We're talking about joy versus grief. How would you guys describe grief? I think that's a tricky one because I think each person can have their own experiences and ascribe grief to it. But I think it, grief is something that occurs when there's like a lack or a loss of something, something usually that's important or meaningful to you. Um, whereas, you know, the, a worldly twist on that would be despair, something that's lacking of hope. So something that is taken and then you have no hope. Um, or as grief can occur even with hope. So you can, like we were um, talking about in the previous episode, you can have joy even when you are grieving the loss of something because there's still hope there. Can you kind of go into that and just kind of explain what you mean by that? Like what kind of joy can we have when say a loved one passes away? Um, well, if you think from a believer's perspective, um, we know that this is not our home. This is not where we belong. Um, we have this eternal hope and this eternal gift that God's given us of another world, um, another life, essentially, where we don't have sorrow, we don't have the, you know, the worldly constraints that we have in this life. Um, so even when you may be missing someone who's now been taken, so in the, in the, um, the example of uh, Neville uh, having to go to Africa to grieve the loss of his grandmother, it is sad. It is something that we are, you know, she's no longer with his family, but at the same time, there's that hope that he's going to see her again in this next life. Um, whatever that may be. So grief is just another emotion? Mm, that's a good question. I kind of see grief as a process. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know. So what would be the emotion behind grief? Are we comparing it with sorrow or sadness or, you know, there's, yeah. are, are there differences between sorrow, sadness, grief, um, and upset? Like are those different levels, different things? Like how would we even separate that? Um, if I had to differentiate sorrow and sadness, I would say it's a matter of, uh, Time, I think sorrow lasts longer than sadness. I mean, you can be sad for 
30 seconds and then get over it. But sorrow is, I think that that comes from a little more long-term um, emotion, I, I think. I don't know if it needs to be long-term, but I think there is more depth to it. Yeah. yeah. So there's even more depth to grief. I'd put that as the, the greatest one of those. Sorrow that moves into, into grief and saying it, it all the way inside of me, all the way to the depths of the core of my being. I'm like, oh, this just hurts so bad. It's like part of me is gone. I was going to say, I think, yeah, a cleaving. Like, yeah, a cleaving. It's something that's now, it's taken. Um, and I think it's a verb as well. Like I am grieving. It's something I'm actively doing. Um, but yeah, I do think it's also a process. I don't think it's um, just one of these things, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's cool too. So we were talking about Neville because we're talking about grief and you know, he's grieving the loss of his grandmother. And then we also talked about in the last episode, how you can have joy in the midst of grief. And I think we were talking the other day and I was kind of asking him before he makes this long trip to Kenya, you know, how are you feeling? How are you processing this? And, you know, he's handling it really well, obviously, because he's a strong believer and so is his grandmother. And so, you know, he's doing really well. But the thing that I thought was cool is that, you know, he's going to speak at the funeral and they're expecting a really big crowd. So that's an opportunity to share the gospel to a lot of people. I was at a funeral last year where it was a, it was an only child. So a one guy, a father, lost his son and his wife in a plane crash. And so he had to bury both of them in the same day. It was a horrible scene. Um, but at the funeral, one to 2,000 people showed up. And um, they did, you know, the pastor, he's given the eulogy and shares the gospel at the end. And then he says, you know, everyone, you know, if you don't mind, close your eyes, bow your heads. And then he's kind of sharing the gospel. And he says, okay, if you've never had a moment where you've put your faith in Jesus and you want to do that right now, will you just slip your hand up just real quick with no one else looking around? And the, the big rule in that scenario is don't look up because it's supposed to be a private moment between that person and God. I broke that rule. I wanted to look up. And there were at least a third of the you're, room. You're one of them. Gosh. <laughs> no joke, a third of the you're room. You're the reason I never raised my hand. <laughs> Hands shot up all over the room. I'm like, okay, you know, it, it's not, it's obviously a terrible thing that this guy lost his son and his wife in the same day. But you're talking about 400 people roughly who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven one day because they heard the gospel at, at this funeral. And... You know, I think that there can be joy in the midst of grief. So how do, sense. I mean, overall, how do we as Christians, how do we have that joy inside of grief? Um, in in Tess, First Thessalonians, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, hey, rejoice always, basically have joy always. But how do we do that as Christians? I think it's an active decision that I'm going to try and keep my focus on God and constantly remind myself that I'm not home. This is just a temporary living situation and that... I'm going to spend eternity with God where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more grief. It's just joy for all eternity. And in, as Revelations 21.4 says, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes as soon as we get there. And so I think as Christians, it's, it's, it's tough. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, but it, it's just a constant, it's an active decision that I'm going to focus on God, even though the world is just beating the heck out of me right now. Well, going back to that Thessalonians, what does it say after rejoice always? Pray always. And? Uh, and everything give thanks. I think there's a third. <laughs> but it's essential. Wait, so rejoice always, pray, with, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ yes, Jesus for you. exactly. And so it's it's consistently going towards that perspective, that hope um, that we have in God. Um, it's, it's this reminder of that heart posture. If we're so focused on what's happening in the world, if we keep getting bogged down by what we are now lacking, that joy can, you know, filter away. But if you... If you acknowledge, even in this heavy season, um, the joy, the goodness that God is giving you, and you look for that, um, you're, it's kind of pulling you out of it. But at the same time, you're in the same, like it's a crossroads of having joy and grief at the same time. So 
I, I think I mentioned um, in one of the previous episodes, my niece, um, her passing. And so we had a celebration of life. And I remember when she passed, I was just like, God, I know that um, I don't always get to know why things happen in this life, um, but I would really appreciate just a, a, an understanding of why a child had to leave us. And I remember uh, at the celebration of life, just seeing how much my six-year-old uh, niece and my sister's journey um, being her mother has impacted people around the world. People who were going through hard seasons, but believed were, you know, their faith was reinvigorated, just seeing how he was moving in my niece's life. Um, people who didn't believe, who heard this story and who were brought to Christ because of it. I mean, there were so many people and she was a six-year-old, you know. Um, I, I would hope that anyone, like that my life has that much of an impact, but it, we were grieving the loss of a child while at the same time seeing the goodness and the joy. And so I was just grateful that God gave me a glimpse into his bigger purpose and that even though there was something bad happening, he was able to bring good through the, her story, essentially. So you're saying they're not mutually exclusive? Yes, exactly. Um, so we're talking about seasons. So you're saying that a season of joy and a season of grief can overlap? They're not separate? I, I would say in my experience, yes. Okay. Chris, you have something to add? Well, it's that whole story and even thinking of the seasons of grief, you know, I, I think really looking at Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 pops in with, you know, he writes in this letter that causes a lot of grief and he's really sad about it. And he's like, man, I see how much this hurts y'all. But he comes out of that with saying it was the kind of sorrow God, want his, God wants his people to have so that you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kinds of sorrow God wants, to ex us, wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. So it's thinking like there are times when, you know, we may have worldly grief or even godly grief that comes in that things are completely out of our control. You know, we're doing everything right. We're living in a good and upstanding way. We feel like we're righteous and then just life just kicks us in the face. And we have these moments of grief and these seasons of grief. But it's, it's that challenging moment where we can be tested and then God can come in and say, you know, are you going to find joy and peace and rest in me and bring us to that place where we can really find and take hold of this salvation that we have through Jesus and like our faith and our understanding of the love that God has for us. So it's these seasons of grief and these seasons of down. Um, I mean, in, in the wave of the you know, ups and downs of life, there's going to be that thing that kicks us back up. And it's are we going to try to put that on something that's going to fail or are we putting that on the foundation that God's given us? So I think it's a really good place that just brings us and can even further solidify us and even help us witness. You know, when we grieve with others that are grieving and they're like, wait, how can you be here and have any hope here? And it gives us that chance, like you're saying, of just sharing in that faith and sharing in that love that can really bring more people to know who God is and find that joy themselves. Well, and not just that. I feel like, you know, the obvious uh, thing to focus on in grieving is death or loss in that way. But in that verse, he's also speaking of grieving your old life, right? So part of salvation is you're a new creation. You are dead to your old self and your sinful ways and things of the world, and you're now seeking the eternal. And there's a grieving that occurs in that of just letting go of all the things that you used to value, all the people that used to um, you know, bring estimation and you're now seeking God's. And so sometimes that is a difficult process of just letting go, you know? Yeah. You're grieving your old self. You're like, man, I had this identity. It's now changed. I'm no longer just X, Y, and Z. Say, for example, I'm no longer just a football player. I'm a son of God. You know, um, I'm no longer someone, oh man, I, I can't sleep around anymore. I can't do these drugs. I can't do X, Y, and Z. Like that's hard. It's really hard. You had all these pleasure, these pleasures, I'm going to in parentheses here of this earth. And you're like, I don't get to do that anymore with God. But he's like, there's something so much better, something so much more joy filled that I want you to have. 
Yeah, I think I think God also lets us go through terrible seasons so that He can show, you know, the line that that J- Jonathan Picludo, you know, the the porch legend, has always said is, "If dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage." And I just think that's so interesting because before the show, when we were talking about how we're t- how we are going to plan on doing the series, and our first episode is going to be joy and grief. Chris made a joke. And he said, well, have you ever read the Psalms? And he's like, <laughs> we were kind of, we were trying to like pick out scripture before we started of things that we wanted to hit on. And Chris was like, why don't we just, might as well just read all 150 yep. Psalms. All of them. Just and all so, of them. Yeah. I was actually just by happenstance this morning, I was reading through the Psalms because I was letting my dog out and I was like, well, might as well read through the Psalms. Didn't think anything of it. Didn't think we'd be talking about it, but I just thought it was so interesting. And so I'm going to read Psalm three, just pieces of Psalm three. And it's, it's kind of crazy because David wrote this while he was on the run and fearing for his life. He starts off, he said, Oh Lord. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on on every side. And then at the end, he says, Many are asking, Who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so that's David as a kid, as a young man who had the wisdom and the wherewithal to know that even though I'm in the middle of a hurricane and this thing's just whipping all around me, if I'm in the middle of this hurricane and I'm in the eye of the storm and I'm just, just kind of sitting in your presence, I can have peace. And that peace and then brings me joy and that I can have the joy knowing that I serve a God who is greater than anything in this world. And so if... Tens of thousands are raining down on me. If King Saul wants my head on a platter, it doesn't matter because I serve God, because you anointed me to be king of Israel, and because I know that you are good and that you are perfect, I can have, I can take that to the bank, and I can, I can rest assured that the promises you made me are true, and they're good, and that they will come to pass. Oh, man, even just talking about the Psalms, uh, I had a, a conversation with my brother that, you know, was talking about, man, in grief, you know, what, what is this about Jesus calling out, um, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. You even think of like, this is God incarnate that, you know, God in the flesh of man. And he's even saying, why have you abandoned me? Like he's feeling this grief. And I just discovered as I'm reading through Psalms for the first time, Psalm 22 starts out the same way. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? Why have you gone so far when I groan for your help? Like this is a Psalm that David's writing that's saying, you know, where are you, God? Like I am feeling just every day I call out to you, God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift up my voice, but I find no relief. I am grieving. I am sad. I am. I don't know what's going on. But he then follows that up with, yet you are holy, enthroned in the places and the praises of Israel. And I mean, it goes from this psalm of just sadness and grief to a psalm of just rejoice and praise. You know, you jump to the end and it's, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied and all who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. And so it really brings that back to that, that joy piece there, that even in this thing that, you know, in the oral culture of the the Israelites, like you say, Jesus saying that one thing on the cross puts this entire Psalm in their perspective. And they're thinking like, man, now I'm thinking of a place of praise and or a, a place of sorrow and sadness that ends with praise and joy. And it's like, it's just, this has to happen to then give us the greatest sacrifice that was ever made, you know, and it brings us our salvation that we have now. So it's just, like, I, I really do think that that, that grief and that sorrow, it, it's so transitional and we need that sometimes to be able to bring us to that next level and find that saving faith we don't get the resurrection without the death exactly mm. um 
Next question, guys. I want to move on to that. Do you want me to talk about God first or non-believers? Which way do you want to go? Ooh. Flip a coin. God. God. Okay. Question there was then, does God experience joy and grief? Yes, I would say. Oh, dang, yes. She just is like, done. Here we go. Yes. No. Why, Mallory? Next question. <laughs> Next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. Moving along. Yeah, well, that was like, I had I asked an open, I mean, a closed question, yes or no, and now I'm just like, okay, how does God experience these? Where's the follow-up? Yeah, where's the follow-up? My bad, my bad. <laughs> the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. Tell it to us. John eleven thirty five. Oh, Oh, go for it. Jesus wept. <laughs> oh, well, yes, yes. Yeah. So that's obviously, yeah, uh, the manifestation of God and, and, you know, on earth and, you know, man form. But I think we, we had been talking about this a little bit before and just looking it up, uh, grief around God and Genesis 6. So right back in the beginning, um, it's... <laughs> it says the uh, Lord saw the Lord saw the depravity um, or wickedness of man um, was great on earth, and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So the, Genesis six five, just for clarity, um, the Lord regretted that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was deeply grieved in his heart. So there's a there's a grief when uh, we are outside of the purpose that God give, has given us, right? And a lot of it has to do with the fact that He knows that we're causing ourselves harm, and He knows there's a better way. Mm. So it's like a parent seeing their kid, you know, run down the stairs and trip and like skin their knees, and it's like, hey, if you had just been, you know, a little bit more careful, and I I know what's going to come if you do this. And so there's a grief that comes from that, and just us not pursuing Him, and the pain that comes with living in the world, and and um. Yeah, just, I mean, that's where I see grief. Um, but I think, Andrew, you had a point on this oh, as well. Oh, which is very similar when we look at um, God and looking at Israel, his chosen people. Mm-hmm. And he says in, in Psalm 78, I think it's verse 40, he says how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. Like they rebelled against me and it grieved him in the desert. Like he was just grieved by it. And it's, I, it's again, a kid analogy that because that's his chosen child. Um, just as we are part of his family as Christians. And it's like, man, you're going the wrong direction. Like, I want to give you better things. You're looking back to Egypt. You're looking back to the past, whatever happened in your life. And we, I have something so much better for you right in front of you. You just have to trust me. And that lack of trust or that lack of faith grieves them. I'm not a father yet, but I can only imagine like when I'm like, man, I want the best things for my child. I want them to grow up healthy, strong, go to school, all these different things. And when they choose the wrong direction, you're like, oh, man, this hurts. And that's how God feels. So the that emotion of grief is the best way that we can show that. I mean, that, using that word is the best way we can show that of God, right? He has, So we can relate to it. Well, I think there's also the kindness of God of letting us through that free will, choose him because then we'll experience that true depth of joy that can occur when Mm. you turn away from the old ways and come to him. Because if he just made us do it, there's no like good or bad. It's just what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's also an example of his goodness. And I think that uh, I referenced earlier, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. In a minute, I want to get into the context of that verse, but I think it's easy for us to view God as a cosmic killjoy. He's just kind of sitting up there on his throne and he just wants, you know, just please just behave and don't do anything stupid. And that's really not what he is. He's not sitting there trying to rip us off. He's a a father that loves us very dearly. And um, he doesn't, you know, he cares about the things you go through on a day-to-day basis. That's why first Peter says, um, cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. He cares. I mean, if you have a mortgage, he cares about that. Um, You know, if you're, if, you know, if you're, if your mom is sick or, if someone is sick, he cares about that. Th- those are things that you can bring to him. And so in, in John 11, Jesus and his disciples are kind of, they're going through this mission and then they get word that their friend Lazarus died. Lazarus wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he was a close friend of Jesus. 
And so they, they catch word that Lazarus died. And so Jesus and his disciples, they go back to Bethany. Is that where Lazarus was from? Anyway, let's just, let's roll with it. Bethany's a cool word. So that's, they go back to Bethany or wherever Lazarus was, and they're showing Jesus the tomb. And, and Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, they get really frustrated with Jesus because he didn't show up two days earlier when Lazarus originally died. Jesus showed up three days after it happened. And they said, you know, they get, they get mad at him and they say, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And they just, they're laying into him. And Jesus doesn't yell at them. He doesn't get mad at them. Like, I didn't even have to be here. I took time out of my day to come visit you. That's probably how I would have responded. But Jesus as a loving God just kind of met them where they were at. And he didn't meet them with anger. He empathized with them because, you know, he is also not only a father of Lazarus as a heavenly father, but he's a friend of Lazarus. And he also had grief. And so it said, starting in verse 32, it said, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of your people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I just think that's so crazy because before he resurrected, he showed up to the scene knowing exactly what was about to happen. He knew that he was about to do something cool and that he was going to pimp walk out of there and he knew everything that was about to happen and he didn't show up and show off and talk about, like he didn't show up with an attitude. He showed up with, he met them in their grief and their sorrow and then he said, watch this and boom, Lazarus walked out of the tomb. And I think that even though God knows that our sufferings aren't going to last forever, even though we're going to spend eternity with him, he understands now in this present moment, cancer is not fun. Um, financial, financial problems are not fun. And so he meets us where we're at in that regard. Well, and I think this is also another way to show that God is not uh, unfeeling to what we're experiencing, right? So he took the moment to grieve. And I think that's an indicator in any of these uh, scriptures when they highlight something like they didn't have to say that. It was to show like he not only experienced grief, but that he also recognizes there's a need for it, that you you can't just move on and, you know, hey, they're going to be in heaven, so don't grieve it. Like, it's not a big deal. Let it go. It's because you're going to see them again. It's like, no, he knew he was about to bring him back, but he still was experiencing not just the grief of the of the loved ones. So Mary and Martha. Right. But was he himself grieved that they were not together and so he stopped to acknowledge that feeling. And so I think there's an important uh, aspect about that is that like, yeah, there's a season for grief. It also shows his humanity. Mm -hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was fully God and fully man. It's a concept that I don't think anyone has ever understood. I definitely can't put it into words, but he was fully man and he had emotions. He, he was a real person. He had red blood and he bled out on the cross and he actually felt all of the pain associated with that. And he did that for us. And I think that even in something as short and seemingly unimportant as a verse with two words that just says Jesus wept. Even that tiny verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, can tell us so much about God's character because it shows that he took on flesh, he was fully human, he had all of our emotions, and he did all of that for us. Yeah, he's grieving with those who grieve and mourning with those who mourn. He's right there with you. 
Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, 15 right there. Um, what about joy? We talked about grief a little bit. Do we have places where God shows his joy or experiences joy that you can think of? I mean, he loved weddings. I mean, oh, he, man. Wedding in Cana. Let's he go. loved weddings. He, the Bible starts with a wedding with Adam and Eve in the garden, and it ends with a wedding where God comes back for his church, where the church is his bride and he is the groom. God loves weddings. His first public miracle, he supplied the open bar to wedding. Jesus loves <laughs> weddings. Open bar. I know that's another. Just I think topic. it really supports open another bars topic. Too, yeah. Open bars, people getting drunk. We'll have to talk about the other time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's no, not he, that's not an excuse to go get hammered at a wedding. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that Jesus loves weddings and God loves weddings because he understands that God can glorify Himself through an eternal bond between a man and a woman, and He loves that. And so, yeah, I think the reason why I say that is because I came back. I had a wedding this past weekend. My cousin which by the way, they, he played brown eyed girl impromptu at his reception. It was, it was the coolest thing. <laughs> that's but, funny. And I'm going to a wedding today, but the thing that's the reason so that's why weddings are on my mind. But the cool thing about weddings, in my opinion, so when the bride comes in, the door is open, everyone stands up, they play, here comes the bride or whatever song. Everyone looks at the bride. I do that for like one second. And then I immediately turn around and look at the groom. And to me, that's the coolest thing because I don't know. I'm sure Andrew, I don't know if you have emotion, but I'm sure you probably cried when Bobani came down the aisle. Okay, but like, to, we'll talk about a second. Funny story. Let's anyway. start on do you have emotion? I, just, I do have emotion. No, finish your story. But anyway, no, I love looking at the groom because it's just that, that nervous anxiety before the doors open. And then once the doors open and he sees the bride coming down the aisle and most like half the time there's tears coming or just like they're smiling ear to ear. My cousin, my other cousin was like basically jumping up and down like a child. It's just a cool thing to see. <laughs> and I think that's how God views his church because the Bible says the church is his bride. And I think just that, that just pure joy on mm. the groom's face when the bride comes down the aisle, I think that's the same joy that Jesus has when he looks at his church and when he looks at his kids who have put their faith in Jesus and who have trusted Jesus with their whole life and who have become the body of Christ. I think that's exactly the type of feeling that he has when he's going to come back for his bride one day. Yeah. Cause I mean, he's a, he's a relational God. Yes. Like there's that relationship there. Like what is like, one of the questions that even brought me to a saving faith, like the, the root thing that I tie it back to is someone finally asked me for the first time in my life, I was 25, what's your relationship like with God? You know, and I had to like wrestle with that and realize like, dude, I, I was a good old Southern boy, like went to church Sundays and Wednesdays. Like that means like I'm a saving faith, right? And it's like, no, dude, it's more important. Like, what is your relationship like here? Like he wants to have that relationship and he knows that if we pursue him and have that conversation with him and, you know, we're going to him and reading more about him, like building that relationship, getting to know him more and talking to him, like that's going to bring us such everlasting joy. And I even look at my own testimony story where, you know, it's, I jumped into a recovery ministry known as Regen and had to wrestle through all these things that brought a ton of conviction onto me. It's, I, I'd never, I don't think I really experienced joy until I had this moment where you know, I actually had to start making decisions and turning to what, you know, churchy word repentance, but it's actually like turning from these things that I thought were bringing me joy, but really were just causing me stress and anxiety. Like, you know, I prove a man content uh, com complex and finding my identity and like my achievements and all these other things. And it wasn't until I was like, man, my identity can be found in God and who he is and like actually pursuing a relationship with him. And just by being faithful that's brought me into a place where now I'm surrounded by other people and surrounded by relationships where I can have these moments with people. And it's like, I go day to day and it's so easy to choose joy. I'd say on a daily basis now because I'm surrounded relationally with people that are also running after God. So, I mean, I, th I think just that concept of being in relationship with others and relationship with God and pursuing that together is just keen on being, finding that access to joy. God rejoices over us, as it says in the Psalms. Like, he loves to do that, especially when we're obedient and faithfully following him. He's like, that gives him great joy. Um, but the thing about me crying at my wedding, 
yes, it happened, but it didn't happen at the right time. Ooh. And so I was, I got like four hours of sleep. I'm feeling kind of sickish that day. And so I walk out and there's people, who, there's like 150 people there at my wedding because that was as big as we could get during COVID. It was beautiful. And I'm like, oh, they're there. They're there. And I started crying and people were there that I didn't expect to be there. And so I'm bawling. And then like me and the, me and the pastor, he's like, oh, you got this man. Like he's giving me a hug and stuff. And I stopped crying. All the, the groomsmen all walked all the above. The music starts playing. I start, stop crying. So my bride walks out, my wife now, I'm not crying at all. <laughs> and then so she finds out later, she's like, you cried over everyone else but me. And I was like, no, babe, I was just dry by that point. I, I thought you were beautiful. I'm sorry. It was hilarious. <laughs> so I didn't do it right. But I was just wow. so joyous and like overfilled with joy because of all that was happening. Like I couldn't stop crying at first. And then like got together just thanking God for all he's doing in my life and was able to bring it back together. My wife walked out and I was like, just super ecstatic, the biggest smile on my face. My friend Marshall did a Tiger Woods fist pump. It was pretty cool to see. Oh yeah, that's cool. That is very cool. cool. Um, well guys, I want to ask one more question. How do we respond? It's kind of a shorter question here, but how do we respond to people like, okay, you know, you just lost your child or you lost your wife to cancer and you're not a Christian and she wasn't a Christian, right? Cause we talked about the Christian response, but how do we as Christians respond to those individuals? How do we share them? How do we be with them in that moment? I, I mean, I think it's, I want to say it's Paul that mentions it, but yeah, it's like the grieve with those who grieve. It's, it's sitting with them and being present. Again, this relational aspect doesn't just come to believers to believers or us to God. It's to that we're supposed to, we're called to love the people Mm -hmm. around us. And, um, I mean, that's the same with people who don't believe in God. So when they don't have a hope, how much more sorrow are they going to experience, um, when they don't have that promise of tomorrow, um, and so sometimes it's just literally being with them, sitting with them in that, in that sadness. And if they're open to a conversation about that hope that they see in you, then that's great. But if not, it's just being there for them, in my opinion, anyway. I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, bring food. I think that's probably the best thing to do when someone's going through it. When someone just died, bring food, meet a need. Um, and just if they ask you, if you get, if God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, share the gospel, but show up meet a need and just be there for them. Just love on them. Yeah. I think that's showing up and just being there. And in a sense, it's witnessing. It's showing, you know, that's what you're doing. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to bring up the gospel, but the fact that not everybody is going to stop their life and stop what they're doing and stop their plans to be there and sit with you and just slow down everything, especially, I mean, we're all in Dallas. We know the hustle and the bustle of everything that's going on. And, you know, it's even, I, I think of a story, you know, last week I had a close friend that at a near-death experience. You know, he got in a car accident where there was a car to the left of him that got hit, T-boned, drunk driver going through an intersection. And that car that got hit head-on, uh, that driver died on the scene. And if that car hadn't been there, you know, that would have been my friend that would have been hit head-on and we could be grieving the loss of a friend right now. And, you know, yes, he was or he is a believer, but the thing that we've talked about and we've kind of decompressed on is so much the y'all were just there. And that being the thing that he remembers the most is that, you know, we had a dinner to go to, we had all this other plans and all of that stopped because we had someone that was now, you know, in shock and was at this place where life just hit him like a ton of bricks. And instead of just being like, oh, dude, that sucks. Like, hope you get better. I'll pray for you. It's like, no, we went there. We sat with him. We were there for three hours on this scene and just wept and cried with him and like just was sharing in this moment where that has now developed a deeper relationship. And so, you know, I, I think there's so much to just being there and being present that really speaks, one, to believers, but two, to even those that are non-believers. Man, I love that. And so it's just being there for people because honestly, there's not a hope for their loved ones, sadly, um, but there's still hope for the people that are alive. Um, and so it's being there for the men and women that are around and loving them well. All right? Yeah. Um, 
You have something to add, bro? I do. Um, Ooh, oh, Benediction. Yeah, benediction. Well, final closing so, words from Roe here. There are Actually, this is your book. I it, stole it's this true. Book. It is it's my book. I, book. I brought it on purpose. So there are 91 days until the college. We're talking about seasons. My favorite oh, season oh my of the year gosh. is college football. There are how, 91 I, days. I was in Psalm 91 today. No <laughs> way. That's, that's, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> is 91 so biblical? Is this a thing? So we're reading, we're reading number 91 from Andrew's Benediction book. Here we go. May heaven's richest blessing come down on everyone who goes out following the good and beautiful shepherd himself to find the lost sheep and to love and care for them. For beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the scripture references Isaiah 52, 7, Romans 10, 15. All right, look those up, guys. Get out there to preach the good news and uh, stay classy. The lights just went out in the studio. I think we landed the plane fairly well, given the circumstances. Perfect. Yeah. All right, hasta pronto, everybody. Adios. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.